0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two of his teaching, Signs. This morning, we're going to continue our series on signs, and this will be part two of what I really should have called The Purpose of Signs. And as we mentioned last Sunday, there are all kinds of signs out there in the natural world, signs to help us get from point A to point B, signs that regulate automobile traffic, signs that announce upcoming events, signs that advertise products and services, signs that warn us of impending danger, and so on and so forth. There are also signs in the heavens. For example, the sun, the moon, and the stars are used from time to time as prophetic signposts announcing important events about to happen on planet Earth. But the signs we're talking about in this series are supernatural signs performed by Jesus Himself, amen? Signs that make it clear that He was and is more than just an ordinary man. He was the Christ. He was the Son of God. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It literally means the anointed or the anointing. So it's proper to say Jesus is the Christ because He is the anointed one. Amen. And even though the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record many more signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus performed in His earthly ministry, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, highlights seven of them in his gospel. And you find them between chapter 2 and chapter 11. And he sort of alludes to that near the end of his book in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, New King James Version. John says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Amen. So John's saying, I didn't write all the signs that I saw because I was an eyewitness. I picked seven that the Holy Spirit brought to my attention. Amen. Amen. And he said, the purpose of these signs, the reason I'm writing them down in my gospel, verse 31, is that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Amen. And you can see in this last verse that I just read why these seven were picked. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in His name. And that, in a nutshell, is the purpose of supernatural signs. One more time. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in His name. Amen. So here are the seven signs of the book of John in the order in which they appear in Scripture which we've been using as an outline for this series. Number one, changing water into wine. It's in John chapter 2. Number two, healing the nobleman's son. It's in John chapter 4. Number three, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. It's in John chapter 5. Number four, feeding the 5,000. You find it in John chapter 6. Number 5, walking on water. Again, John chapter 6. Number 6, healing a man born blind. Find it in John chapter 9. And then finally, number 7, it is fitting. 7 is God's perfect number. Raising Lazarus from the dead, found in John chapter 11. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Last week we covered number one, changing water to wine, and number two, healing the nobleman's son, and we found out through these signs that Jesus was and is Savior, Healer, Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and our Provider, amen. We also found out that He was and is the Lord of space and time, amen. He is the Lord of the created universe. And if you want to hear how we made all those connections and how we saw all of those signs, you can listen to last week's episode on our podcast. Amen. This week, we're going to cover number three and number four, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda and feeding the 5,000, and I hope to be done with this series in a couple of weeks. Amen. But I'm kind of enjoying it. I've never taught on this before. I've never preached on this before. Now, I want to remind you that as we go through these seven signs, which point people to Jesus, that there are other signs we find embedded in the Scripture passages. I call them signs within the signs. They also point to Jesus and say some things about Him. We found that in number one and two, and we're going to find it as well in the rest of the signs. All right, here we go. Number three. Healing the Paralyzed Man at the Pool of Bethesda, one of my favorite Bible passages. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 18, New King James Version. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read. I'm going to read until I feel the need to explain, and then I'll read again until I feel the need to explain again, and we'll go through it like that, amen. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. You know, the pool of Bethesda was a spring-fed pool surrounded by five porches in the city of Jerusalem. Little side journey here, there was some debate back in the 40s and the early 50s, whether the Pool of Bethesda really ever existed, whether Scripture was accurate or not. But in 1956, they found the Pool of Bethesda and all five porches, and they're there today in the city of Jerusalem. Never bet against the Word of God. Amen. So these five porches, verse 3 says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, Paralyzed waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. I want you to notice that it does not say there was a tradition that an angel went down and stirred up the water every once in a while. The Bible says an angel went down and stirred up the water. Just believe it, it's in the Bible. Amen. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Amen. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. As I said, the pool of Bethesda was a spring-fed pool with five porches in the city of Jerusalem. And on these porches, evidently, they were packed with sick people because the Bible says that an angel went down from time to time and stirred up the water. And if you got in first, you got healed. Amen. It was like winning the lottery. First thing I want you to see in this passage is that the stirring of the water is a manifestation of the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit, which from time to time would be stirred up by this angel. I believe most likely building a conduit, allowing the living water that flows from the throne of God to mix with the pool of Bethesda and energize it with the power of God. That's what I think was going on here. And the first person to recognize this stirring, to recognize this anointing, whoever jumped in first into that pool was instantly healed of whatever disease he had. Now you have to know that the Israelites already had a provision for healing even under the old covenant. But not many were standing on the word of God and believe in God for their healing. You know, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, after the Israelites went through the Red Sea, they came out of Egypt, which was a type of the world. They went through the Red Sea, which was a type of baptism. They came to the waters of Meribah. And Meribah means the waters of strife. And the water there, we thought, they thought it was going to be a source of water, but it was poison. It would kill the people, it would kill their livestock. So the Lord told Moses to have a tree cut down, thrown into the water, and the bitter waters would be made sweet. And that's exactly what they did, and that's exactly what happened. And this is what the Lord said, Because I am the Lord that healeth thee. In the Hebrew it is, I am Jehovah Rapha. So the very first thing that is revealed to the nation of Israel after they come out of Egypt after they pass through the Red Sea, is Jesus, or God the Father, as their healer. Amen. That's significant, but if you're hanging around the pool of Bethesda, waiting on the string of the water, then you're not turning your attention primarily to the Father God and saying, Father, there is a covenant that you have with me and my people that says that we can receive healing. If you go further into the book of Exodus to chapter 23 and verse 25, The Lord says, and you shall bless the Lord your God, and He shall bless your water and your food, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. I heard a teacher that I really admire say that that word there, take away, I will take away sickness from the midst of thee, it literally means I will shut it off. I will turn the sickness switch off. Isn't that awesome? This was their covenant with the Lord God, but obviously they had forgotten that. But the Lord, in His great mercy, because He loved them, went to great lengths anyway to see one or two healed every once in a while. Amen. He sent an angel to stir up the water. And if anybody recognized the moving of the water and got in there, they were healed. Amen. All right, so the water, the stirring of the water is a type of the anointing. Isn't that right? And most of them that were hanging around that pool, they were hanging around like it was the lottery, hoping they would get the winning ticket and get in the water before anybody else did. Still, as I say, it was a testament to the love and mercy of God that He extended miraculous healing to them anyway. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Of course, he wanted to be made well. It's fine. She is awesome. Last week's podcast has some of her amens on it, and I love it. Amen. Here, Jesus knew by a gift of the Spirit. Remember, we shared about the gifts of the Spirit a couple of weeks ago. We had a five-week series. He gets a word of knowledge that the man has been paralyzed for a long, long time. And he stirred his faith like the stirring of the water by asking him a direct question. Do you want to be healed? Yes, I want to be healed. (laughs) Reminds me of Tom Cruise. Do you want to know the truth? You can't handle the truth. Do you want to be healed? Yes, sir, I want to be healed. You know, that should have been his response. Verse 7 says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now, that's not an incidental remark there, as we'll find out as we continue reading. His critics were not at all pleased that he healed this man on the Sabbath. Now, here's how I believe these last three verses, verses 7 through 9 went down. Hear me out. Hear me out. When the man made his I have no man statement, Jesus responded with a look. And I believe he conveyed the following with his eyes. You're looking for an ordinary man to help you get in the water when it starts stirring. But I'm no ordinary man. And the anointing that that stirring represents is now fully residing on and in me. You know, Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He had an anointing to heal and he conveyed that to the man with his eyes, I believe. And then he spoke out loud to the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And he did it. He got up and he walked. And all this happened on the Sabbath day. Here's where the fun stuff starts. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who who had made him well. Now, isn't that great? You've been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus comes along and heals you, and the first thing you do is rat him out to the Jews. Anyway, from his testimony, verse 16 says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, it's difficult for me or any of us to comprehend the depth of the hardness of heart of these religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were looking to hang him on some technicality of the law And they were completely overlooking the love and the mercy that was poured out on this man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. As the saying goes, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. They couldn't see the big picture. But Jesus answered them, this is important, My Father has been working until now and I have been working. Here Jesus tries to appeal to their their reason and let them know that He and the Father were working together as He was doing these miracles. God was flowing through Him, and if there was an issue with the Sabbath, He would have known it because He was one with the Father. Amen? In the other three Gospels, you read how Jesus told them repeatedly that He was Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't meant to enslave those under the law, but to give them a day of the week where they could just rest. And acts of love and mercy were always appropriate, no matter what day of the week it was. But they didn't get it. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Amen. So there are three signs, at least, that I believe we see in this amazing passage of Scripture. We see Jesus, the healer, once again in action with the healing of the paralyzed man. From the stirring of the waters, a type of the anointing, we see Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. When Jesus told the Jews that He and the Father were working together in the miracles that He performed, He was acknowledging that He and the Father were one, that He was Emmanuel, prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before. He was Emmanuel, which means, I am God with you. I am God in the flesh. Amen. And finally, we see Jesus, Lord and Maker of the Sabbath. That probably needs a little bit of explanation. Over there in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Jesus, before He took on flesh, He was called the Word. He was God. And John chapter 1 goes on to say that everything in the universe that was made was made by Him. He did it in six days, amen? And on the seventh day, He rested. If He was the Creator for those first six days, I believe He was the Creator. He was the one who came up with the idea, if you will, of the day of rest at the end, day seven being the day of rest. Therefore, He was right to say, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who instituted the Sabbath. I am the living Word of God. I'll tell you, If you're violating the Sabbath and doing acts of love and mercy on the Sabbath are not violations of the law. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Number four, feeding the 5,000. John chapter six, verse one through 14. We'll be reading in the New King James Version. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Did you hear that? Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Once again, that is that same Greek word we talked about last week. Say my on. Last week I, I said say me on, and I went and double checked the pronunciation, and it is say my on. It means a sign, a wonder, a miracle, or a token. One more time, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. If you read Matthew's uh, story or Matthew's uh, coverage of this event, before they got to the mountaintop, and before they fed them, there was a healing service, and Jesus healed all the sick and all the diseased among those people. And then afterward, they had a picnic. Amen. Now, this word here, sign, say, if you go through all of these verses that we're going to use uh, in this outline, in this series, in the King James Version, you'll find out that the King James translates semion as miracles. But I believe the new King James gets it right by calling them signs because signs point you to the one who does the miracles. Signs point you to the one who does work the wonders. Amen. So I believe the emphasis is on the signs, and this is the correct translation. So godly signs are powerful and ultimately cause people to follow Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I want to point out that this word, semion, pops up all through the seven signs, so might as well get used to it. We're going to talk about it even one more time before we get done with number four, the feeding of the 5,000. So I thought it would be a good time to read an expanded biblical definition of the word Semaion from the Strong's lexicon. Okay, I know some people's eyes are rolling up in their head, but just stay with me. Stay with me. As I said, Semaion means a sign, mark, or token, but it is a sign, mark, or token of miracles and wonders by which God authenticates the men sent by Him or by which men prove that the cause they are pleading is God's. The signs or Jesus' way of showing the people that he was sent to them by God. Amen? And that's spot on because the signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus did in his earthly ministry authenticate the fact that he was sent by God and that he was Lord of all. Amen. He is Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the anointed. He is Jesus the Messiah. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the signs make that evident. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? That these may eat. Now they're out in the middle of nowhere. So you know Jesus is up to something. Verse 6 says, But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I agree with Andrew Womack's take on this part of the story. I believe that Jesus was testing them to see if they would see the need and be willing to let him train them on how to believe God for a miracle in this situation. But they didn't get it. They weren't on the same wavelength. They were still trying to meet the need out of their own resources. We see that in verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. In other words, I believe they must have had 200 denarii in the bag. And he was looking at that and saying, even this is not enough so that even everybody got a little bit of bread. It's nowhere near enough. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? He must have been a large lad if his lunch was five loaves of barley and two small fish. But that's neither here nor there. At least this boy was willing to give up his lunch. And I believe because he did that, he was a part, or he had a part in this miracle that was about to happen. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. Now, I want to just tell you something comical. I've read this many, many times, and every time I've gotten to that part where it says, now there was much grass in the place, I'm like, what the heck difference does that make? But then I realized that Jesus is very practical. He don't want people sitting in the dirt. There was plenty of grass on that mountain for all 5,000 of these people and all the women and children to sit down and be comfortable. That's what he's talking about here. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Matthew's account makes it clear that the women and children were not included in the count. So we're talking about ten to 15,000 people, maybe more, that needed to be fed. Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. All-you-can-eat buffet, Jesus is the host. You know, as they say, all you care to eat, that sort of dignifies those all-you-can-eat places. Now, this is a side journey, but one that I believe will bless you. I want you to notice in verse 10 that Jesus seated the 5,000 men and all the women and children that were with them on the grassy fields that covered this mountain. And as He did, He saw the magnitude of the need with His own eyes. And then in verse 11, it says, He then took the loaves and fishes, gave thanks, and distributed them to the people. But you got to read Matthew's account to really get the big picture here. Matthew's account says he took the loaves and fishes, listen to me, looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the bread and the fish, and gave to the people as much as they wanted. I want you to stay with me because this is a little subtle, but it's very important. Jesus had time to assess the impossible, but then look to heaven as the only answer to that need. Did you hear me? Jesus had time to assess what seemed impossible, but then look to heaven as the only answer to that need. And this is something we can learn from. You know, sometimes you need to take a good, hard look At what you're up against, the impossible odds, the overwhelming obstacles, and then look to heaven and realize if you're on the right path, if you're doing what God has called you to do, heaven will back you every time. Now, I posted that on Instagram and Facebook, thanks to the help of my techno wizard daughter here because I felt like it was a message that the body of Christ needed to hear. And I feel tonight or today that there are people here that need to hear this. So let me read this to you again. You know, sometimes you need to take a good, hard look at what you're up against, the impossible odds and the overwhelming obstacles, and then look to heaven and realize if you're on the right path and doing what God has called you to do, heaven will back you every time. So if you're facing impossible odds and overwhelming obstacles, then look to heaven. You know, there's a psalm that says, I look to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. Amen? That's what you need to do in this current situation that you're struggling with. Verse 12. So when they were filled... He said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Now, I've heard preachers say this, and I happen to be in agreement with this. Where do you think those 12 baskets went? With that boy, with somebody to get him home safely. Give that stuff to your mom and daddy. Because you were the one that was willing to give up your lunch. Now God is going to bless you with abundance. That's what I believe. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Amen. Verse 13. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Amen. In this miracle of multiplication, we see a sign that points once again to Jesus as our abundant provider. Not just barely get by, but an abundant provider, amen. Just like when he turned water into wine. And the really cool part is that both these miracles, the water into the wine and the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, they both break the laws of nature, amen. And I think God delights in doing that, you know. Uh, This time, he multiplies bread and fish over and over again, fed everybody and had more left over when he was done. You can't do that unless you violate the law of conservation of matter or the law of conservation of mass, which says that mass or matter can neither be created or destroyed. Amen. I say if he created matter in the first place, He can create matter when he needs to, amen, as the need arises. Verse 14, and here is the the punchline, really, of this whole series. We're not done yet, but this is the recurring theme that we're going to be looking at. It's right here in verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign, that's semion, that same Greek word, these men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They saw what he did, and because of it, they were convinced that he was the one sent by God into the world for them. He was Jesus the Christ. He was Jesus the anointed. He was Jesus their Messiah. Again, the word translated here as sign is the Greek word samion. They keep trying not to say it the wrong way which places the emphasis on the sign, not just the miracle or the wonder. Because after all, as we've said already, the sign points the people on that mountain to Jesus, the miracle worker, the wonder worker. Amen. And it validated the fact that he was sent to them by God. We know this because they said when it was all said and done, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Amen. Well, I think that's enough for today. We'll pick it up next week with sign number five, walk in on water, and hopefully, as I said, we'll be done in a couple of weeks. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part two of Dr. Forrest's message, Signs. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us. On Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 10.30 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faithlife Wilmington.